we're not in it out of some sort of like commitment to principle. Like we do the hard work because we love. Because you gotta. <laughs> you, yeah, because you have to in order to live the life that you're loving and to continue to love the people that you're loving. And, you know, th those aren't things that like, you know, those aren't things we could ever see ourselves giving up. Um, there are people in our lives we could never, you know, don't, you know, can't imagine being gone. Um, and yet they make it worth it. Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non-monogamy to hear their fascinating stories. We strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy approach to non-monogamy. However, it's important to remember that everyone does it a little bit differently, and the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect our own. Additionally, we produce this show for entertainment purposes only. Please be aware that we aren't doctors or therapists. Consult a medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy! Welcome to episode 245. We're Finn and Emma, and today we have a fantastic conversation with Caitlin and Julian. Yeah, I would say if you're an Instagram follower, uh, you'll notice that like the last four days I've been Posting. Posting like crazy about it because we're super excited about it because it's an amazing, amazing conversation. Also, if you're not an Instagram follower. Go become one. Definitely become <laughs> an Instagram. There's some high quality stuff on there from us. Right. Uh, one other quick thing about this. Uh, their sense of humor is absolutely amazing, but it's a little bit dry at times. And you don't always get to see that if you're not. Well, you can't always pick up on that if you're not watching them. We were watching them, so it was super funny for us. <laughs> Sorry, you don't get to share that. <laughs> the point is, there there was never a point where there was like anything but love between these two and this whole conversation, and it's amazing. That's yes. all. Before we jump into their interview, we do have a couple of announcements. Yeah. What are you going to say? I'm not going to say anything. I'm waiting for you to say what the announcements are. <laughs> I was waiting we patiently. First announcement, we don't have COVID anymore. Woohoo! Number one announcement, <laughs> we both tested negative via PCR test even. Yes, yes. Well done, good, Emma. Good news, good news. Um, still recovering on the energy front, but getting there. The other announcement, our shirts are still available for purchase. They're available until July 22nd. So that's this coming Friday. So go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com, check out the shirts, go purchase one or 10 and support us and spread the love. Give the love. That's what they say. Yeah, we're doing a promotion where if you buy five shirts, you pay for five shirts. It's a real... <laughs> It's an amazing promotion. You you can't find a better deal than that on these shirts anywhere on the internet. I promise you that. And yeah, we're excited about them. And if you go to Instagram, you get to see photos of us in the shirts. That's true. And it is actually beneficial to buy them five at once because then you only have to pay shipping. Right. And you don't have to be pay shipping for every shirt. So That's the real special. Exactly. See? Uh, Got to spin it. Yeah. Anyway, Anywho, go check out the shirts. They're we, super cool. We did add well, – I was just going to say, we did add eco shirts. They weren't available. We were able to have the company unlock this for us. So there are now uh, an eco women's fit or women's cut, and there is an eco like unisex tri-blend tee. So that's yes. cool. They're super made with cool. recycled and organic materials. Super cool. I'm 100% organic. <laughs> well, so are you. So am I. Awesome. Yes. <laughs> I'm not recycled though. <laughs> Nope, me either. Anyway. Get to the point, Emma. Okay, real quick. 
Patreon. If you're out there looking for a community, we would highly encourage you to check out uh, like-minded friends in our Patreon community. We have ongoing Mimi chat. We have monthly Q&As, men's groups, women's groups. It's super fun and amazing and keeps growing. So go check it out on our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. We'd have love to have you come join us. We would. And a huge thank you to all of the existing Patreon members. Yes. We've got some testimonials to play for you next week. We're going to skip them this week because I spent a lot of time talking and about, the shirts. about things. <laughs> and so we wanted to get into the episode. So we're excited for that next week. We also have a virtual meet and greet. This is separate from Patreon. This is going to be scheduled. Well, it is scheduled for August 30th, 2022. So go sign up on our website. Again, normalizing nonmonogamy.com. These are open to anyone. You just must be respectful and open-minded. And super awesome. And kind. And awesome. <laughs> and if you're like, maybe I'm not awesome enough, you're listening to this podcast, you're awesome enough. Yes. And you can find it under the community events tab. The other thing to say up here really quick, if you would love to reach out to us, well, we would love you to reach out to us. Yes. I guess if you would love to, you should. The way to do that, you go to our website and you click on the about us tab or the contact us tab. Send us an email, send us a voicemail. We would love to hear from you. We reply to them all. And yeah, we just, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love your feedback. We'd well, speaking of feedback, you could always leave a you could always leave a review on iTunes. That they could do that too. Yeah. And we actually mentioned Instagram. I forgot to tell them it's at NNM Podcast. That's true. I forgot to mention that. <laughs> Links to everything we're blabbering about are in the show notes. The last thing I will say, one of the best ways to sh- to support it, to support the show without spending a penny, is to just tell somebody about it. Yes. Tell a friend. Tell all your friends. Tell your parents. Tell their parents. We would love to have you help us spread the word. So thank you for doing that. It doesn't cost you a penny, and we appreciate it. Yes. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And now, let's go talk to Caitlin and Julian. Let's do it. Welcome, Caitlin and Julian, to the show. We're excited to talk to you today, and thank you so much for being here. Thank you, guys. We're excited. Yeah. We'd love for you to start by just introducing yourselves. Oh, hi. I'm Julian. (laughs) (laughs) Got it. That's your introduction. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I'm a very simple person, apparently. No, yeah, I'm. A, I'm Julian. I've been married to Caitlin for eight plus years now. We've been together for like sixteen. We're high school sweethearts. I feel like I'm introducing both of us now. I don't didn't have very much to say about myself. I like ultimate frisbee and pancakes. Uh oh, <laughs> ultimate <laughs> ultimate frisbee. We've got we've got commonalities. We'll have to talk later. <laughs> Uh, we played in college, so yeah, oh, yeah? Love yeah it. I played a lot back in college. Yep. I've watched a lot of Ultimate Frisbee. <laughs> I know, it's, pretty, it's, it's super sexy, isn't it? Like it yeah. actually really is. It was a great sport to watch in college. Um, really, really good, good on the eye candy. Um, well, I'm Caitlin. Uh, I've <laughs> also been married to Julian for a little over eight years. I'm an event manager, and we live out in the Bay Area as. Many people do uh, in California, but both of us grew up in Florida, so uh, we've lived out here for coming up on a decade, but not quite. And we're I'm I'm happy out here, and <laughs> I love it out here. And uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's love us. It. Well, thank you both for yeah, thank you both for being here, and we're excited to learn more about you. So. Maybe we'll just jump right in. Do you mind sharing a little bit about like what your relationship dynamic looks like today? And then we'll go back. We're going to go way back. I'm hoping to high school, but we'll see how far back we have to go to figure out the roots. 
<laughs> we can do that. Yeah. Well, so today, right now, uh, Julie and I are married legally in the eyes of God in the United States of America. And um, what? I don't know, maybe not God, but no. in the yeah. eyes of the United States of America, <laughs> whoever else chose to witness that. Um, and we are also cohabitating. Um, and so we are, uh, I think, from the front end of things, a really traditional uh, a heterosexual married couple. Um, like that from the outside. Yes. Yeah. However, I have a girlfriend who is married and currently expecting a baby. And I have a platonic wife who I married last summer. And then Julian can tell you about his additional partners. Yeah. I have a, a partner who lives nearby um, who I became, actually I met like through Caitlin several years back when I was in law school. And I have a partner up in Baltimore who will be coming back in a few weeks who I'll get to see. Yeah. yeah. And then just from sort of a, the polyamory perspective of it, we practice sort of a, we think of it as non-hierarchical. Uh, functionally, there's some hierarchy to being cohabitating and married and sharing finances, but in terms of um, partner dynamics and emotional and time needs, we try to be available to whoever is, you know, in need and not necessarily spouse first. And we actually have a pretty tight knit um, community here that we consider our polycule. We're not all dating each other anymore, but most of us have dated some other of us in the past and we have that really tight knit crew. So um, really supported and loved in that, in that community. Yeah. I like to say yeah. we, we have a like descriptive, but not prescriptive hierarchy. Like, yes. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Totally get it. And I want to dig into the hierarchy piece because I think that's something we, 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 that keeps coming up maybe sort of in our lives, but just in general was as yeah. we kind of dig into things more. But one thing I wanted to touch on before we get super deep is, uh, Julie, um, Caitlin, you mentioned you have a platonic wife that you married last summer, I think. I did. And I, I think most people probably understand most of the other dynamics you mentioned, but would you be able to talk about that one a little bit? Because that's not one we've heard before. <laughs> cool. I'm excited to be your first. Um, cool a lot. <laughs> yeah. Right. So I, um, I have a platonic wife. Uh, I actually met her because we were both dating the same man a few years ago. So we were metamors first and we never actually engaged in a romantic one-on-one -on -one relationship, but we became really, really close. And she is sort of a, traveler. She moves around a lot. She doesn't tend to have a really consistent physical home base. Um, and has, uh, as we were sort of moving in and out of being like near each other, we were talking a lot, especially during the pandemic about what distance meant for us. And, you know, having, I think, come out of the sort of metamore relationship that we'd had in the past, we were comfortable, we're, we're very, you know, physically comfortable and intimate with each other in terms of like sharing beds and snuggling and all that stuff and kissing each other and things. And so we have, I think, a relationship that looks like what you would expect a lot of female best friends' relationships would look like. But we have a couple added sort of dynamics to it where we've been, we've been metamores to each other. So we've been um, supportive of each other in sort of that tertiary relationship. We've been 
more physically intimate and decided that that's not something that the two of us want specifically with each other, but have had fun with in the past. And we've had, I think, a lot of practice in communicating about our needs and boundaries and kind of commitments to each other. And so it was actually... I think April of 2021, we had been joking about getting married. I mean, I thought we were joking. I fully thought that we were kidding. And of the two of us, I tend to be like the grandiose romantic type and she's more the not that. Um, and she totally took me out of left field and uh, proposed in the middle of a restaurant in Oakland <laughs> with like a real wow. ring and everything. And I did not know and <laughs> was like crying and people popped champagne. It was great. Um, and then she thought she was going to get out of a wedding. Cause she was like, Oh, we were just going to wear rings. Right. And move on. And I was like, you married an event planner. You rather you proposed to an event planner. You have to have a wedding now. It's legally required. Um, <laughs> so we, yeah, we planned a little wedding and we got married by the lake in Oakland, just with our closest friends. And then, Went out. First post pandemic outing. Post pandemic outing. Yeah, it was really great. And so she doesn't live here right now. She'll probably move back here again soon and stay for a bit and then she'll leave. We talk regularly and we're, you know, really supportive and direct with each other. She does not identify as polyamorous, which is funny. Um, She's currently in the market for her own kind of primary partner. That's not me, her primary romantic partner. Um, so if anyone's interested in a non-specifically polyamorous, very attractive woman, hit me up. Um, (laughs) 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 Um, but yeah, so yeah, platonic, we're not romantic. We're not in love with each other, but we love each other very, very much. And we have stood in front of our friends and made promises to like, stay in each other's lives and keep each other on track and be a source of home and safety for each other. And it's great. And I love it. And I love getting to have her as my platonic wife. <laughs> I love it. It's amazing. It too. I have one question that I imagine everyone is thinking, and maybe they're not, but I'm thinking, is it a legal marriage in in the eyes of the u.s government and god or is this is it a just we have we have rings and we've done we've done all of the ceremony but it is not necessarily a legal marriage it is not a legal marriage um i already okay. have one legal marriage and i am pretty not sure allowed a felony i'm yeah i'm pretty sure i'm not allowed to have a second yeah. legal marriage we are each other's like contacts and stuff for um a lot of medical things um Like she actually went to the hospital uh, a little bit ago and I went and told them I was her wife and you know, that was all fine and dandy. And I know that I'm her like person for medical stuff. Um, and she is one of mine. I actually have three people on a lot of my medical stuff. So have fun with that doctors. Right. (laughs) I I appreciate that. And and it's not to downplay it in any way, shape or form. I was just kind of curious, like, is that something you can do now? I didn't think it was, but I appreciate it. But no, it was just the pop and circumstance (laughs) and the white dress. (laughs) Love it. Yeah. And like you're an event planner, so why not have fun? Right. I think like what actually it's like in certain cities have started recognizing like like some sort of like civil union between more than one person. You're talking about the domestic partnership thing. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. It's domestic partnership. Yeah. There there was like some very minor step taken in the direction of recognizing 
non-monogamous family structures, but it was it, very small. Yeah. 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 Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you. And I have a great day. No, I'm kidding. So <laughs> how can we, can we go back in time and how, how did all of this begin the whole non-monogamy route? Well, yeah. Like what, what did your relationship look like in the beginning and how did that, how did that evolve? Well, it looked like two obnoxiously cute teenagers on a school bus. Uh, in the very beginning. Yes, um, we fell in love on a school bus. That makes it sound really inglorious. Um, yeah, no, we uh, <laughs> met because I was the dorky senior in high school who, for some reason, hadn't bothered to get a fucking driver's license. And so I was still riding the bus to get to school. And yeah, just coincidentally, our, our bus picked up where uh, she was getting on. And there was some morning... Where it was, we, we were, like I said, grew up in Florida, so it was very frequently very rainy. And there was an occasion where, like, she, she was getting picked up outside of, like, a little Mormon church. Um, and so, like, there were a group of people sprinting through the rain to make it to the uh, bus, which I found entertaining. What I didn't know was that Caitlin had fallen down um, in her sprint to the bus. And so when she got on the bus to find me having kind of, like, laughed at the scramble to make it to the bus without getting too wet... Uh, she told me off for laughing at somebody falling down. And I was like, well, in my defense, I did not see you fall. And what I left out was that if I'd seen her fall, I probably would have been laughing harder. Um, but fortunately I had the you know common sense not to say that part out loud. And my apology was accepted and the rest is history. I guess. Would, would it have been accepted, Caitlin, had he told you the full story? At this point, I've known the story for so long that I feel like I knew it at the time, although I'm sure I did not. But also, I was a freshman and he was a very cute senior and I was being talked to by the very cute senior. So I think I was like a little distracted by that. And in retrospect, I'm extremely proud of me for telling the cute senior off for mocking me. So like, <laughs> ladies, you can speak up. <laughs> Sometimes you marry them. I love that too. (laughs) Yeah, right? (laughs) I love that. I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah, our our young relationship, I think, looked like a lot of high school relationships. I think we were really precious and very probably gross to most of the people around us. A little CD player with You know, yeah, two headphones with a CD player. Yeah. Split ear pods Mm -hmm. or whatever. Oh, yeah. Four ear pods. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And yeah, definitely we were like... That definitely was pre-polyamory. It was a very traditional high school relationship. But then I always, I would say that the first sort of polyamorous moment in our relationship actually came really early, but it's one of those that sort of takes on the polyamory in context with like, you know, 2020 hindsight. But Julian, being a senior, graduated and started school at, at the university in the town where we grew up. So he was still in the same town as me, but we weren't going to school together anymore. And my parents um, were Mormon, are Mormon, um, were conservative, and I wasn't um, allowed to like go to college parties with him. You know, I was 15. That's reasonable, honestly. Or but even on dates. Yeah. So we weren't supposed to go on like alone dates together, and I wasn't supposed to go with him. So uh, we ended up breaking up when he went to college. Cause we were like, Oh, we're in separate worlds I'll interrupt now here to say that my brother will never let me get away with saying that we broke up for any period of time because we still talked like every night for the interim period. And I went on one date. 
Yes. So th- this was our this was our seed <laughs> we, of a poly moment, which was yeah. very weird. We um, quote unquote broke up. We you know yes we quote quote broke up where we relinquished any traditional ownership over each other and what we were doing yeah. and continued to talk constantly and stay emotionally very close, if not grow closer. And then I remember the night that Julian went on his date and I knew about it because we talked all the time. And I was laying in my bed having this full, like 15 or 16 year old meltdown, you know, because I was like the man I love is out at a bar with a woman that is not me. And I'm going to die. We weren't at a bar. Wherever you were. I don't know where you were. It didn't matter. It does not matter at all. I just was, you know, I was horrified. I was just like spiritually wounded. And then my logical brain kept telling me that he wasn't my boyfriend. And I didn't, I wasn't allowed to have an opinion on who he went on dates with or what he did. And so, you know, clearly I got through that night. I did not die. Julian did not marry that woman. We got back together after like four months, maybe of our half of a not breakup. And I look back at that as actually this like really important moment for me where like our emotional connection did not change at all based on his going out with somebody else. Um, and despite the fact that I felt very, very threatened in that moment, I didn't feel like I got to feel threatened. And so I had to just sort of move through that whole emotional range on my own, (laughs) which when we sort of revisited or when we discovered rather sort of more formalized polyamory later, I kept thinking back to that and being like, you know what? He went out with someone else once before and he married you and he's still here. So like, Probably you won't die this time either. Probably. (laughs) (laughs) Right? There's always a chance. Right. Oh, I love this story. So, so you two got back together after, Mm -hmm. after like four months and then you were still in high school and he was in college. And so how did that, how did that relationship progress over, over the next many years? Well, when she turned 16, she was at least allowed to date. So we could do that. Although there were, substantial limitations on number of times. Suffice it to say, I don't think her parents were ever particularly pleased that she was dating a college student, non-Mormon. And so there mm-hmm. was kind of like, the, uh, there was friction for a good long while, but we made that work. We got what caught like three or four times sneaking you out of your window. And then each time managed to like re like beat down the security system again and sneak her out of her window. So we got time together that way. Usually just like, frankly, like, Right, like the the irony of it all is that, right? That that's in some ways almost like sounds like something much more like nefarious than it was. Whereas we we frequently did was like go to the local park and like put down a blanket and I'd you know bring like some hot chocolate or something and we'd like lie down in the park and just kind of like talk and look at the stars and whatnot. Like, or she would come to some sort of like, frankly, just like a group of like college people sitting and playing Halo or something yeah. like that. Right. Like it was just like, we wanted to spend time together. Um, Julian made it happen. Yeah. Julian's friend group from high school that were all also seniors with him became really close friends with me that year that we dated when we were still both in school. Yeah. And a lot of them went to the same university. So they were still hanging out and I was yeah. still hanging out with them. Um, and it was like just this pack of like older brothers for me basically. And they all were very protective of me and very nice. And I 
had a great time like hanging out with the guys and playing video games and yeah so you know my mom won't hear this podcast i doubt but mother if you hear this podcast i was sneaking out to play halo at friends's house it's fine um (laughs) yeah and and i I will i was gonna say i will confirm if you were hanging out with people who play ultimate frisbee you were probably playing halo and other video games (laughs) it was a very honestly like low-key like for all the things I could have been doing sneaking out in high school, it was very uninteresting. Um, yeah, so we we did <laughs> that. It. That was the rest of my high school, and then I graduated and also started college at the same university. And Julian was getting close to graduating, and at that point, we'd been dating for oh man, like five That's or six, four, four, five, yeah, five yeah, five, five years. years. Yeah, so we've Some been dating for about five years at that point, and then when. I was in my senior year of college was when Julian was looking at going to law school. Actually, I suppose I was more looking at going to grad school and somehow flopped into law school. Worst decision of my life. (laughs) (laughs) PSA, don't go to law school. Yeah. Yeah. So we were talking about that and about him. You know, he was looking at schools all over the country, DC, New York, out here, Stanford, down in San Diego. So he was looking everywhere. And I was about to graduate, about to start a career. And when we talked about it, I said, here's the deal. I will gladly follow you anywhere if, well, I will gladly follow you anywhere with no questions asked and no strings attached. If we're married, I will just shut up and follow you anywhere. If we're not married, I will do my best to follow you, but I will put my career options first. And so if that means that I'm a few cities away or I'm a few states away because you go somewhere that doesn't work for what I need to do, then so be it. And we'll give that a go. And, you know, we'd been together for a while at that point and Julian agreed he wanted to marry me. Yeah. Yeah. So so we did that and we got married before we moved to California specifically because just a few months before. Yeah. I wanted to do it before we moved because all of our family and friends were back in Florida and I didn't want to like plan a long distance wedding and I didn't want to fly everyone to California to get married. So, um, yeah, we did a, we did a wedding in the summer of mm, 2014 2014. or spring rather spring of 2014. And then that August we packed up two cats and all of the things we'd ever owned into a U-Haul and we drove it all to California. (laughs) I think we just packed it up into the back of the car. We didn't own quite we like we had the box that got shipped. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. And then we drove across the country with two cats in the car. Uh. <laughs> I'm sure that was fun. <laughs> it was interesting. Yes. I love this sort of like knowing where you are now and having everybody kind of heard like the the way you've thrown tra- quote unquote tradition out the window, but the way it started was like if we get married and you lock this shit in, I'll go anywhere you want. But if not, well, you don't know what you're going to get. And I, I love that start to where you are today. And I'm, and I'm curious when, when did you turn it on its head and how did that come up? So the, (laughs) that's a complicated question. (laughs) Yeah. So the origins of like my first encounter with non-monogamy as a concept. So I was um, a major in philosophy and wildlife ecology and in my super senior year of college, I took a, um, a course in existentialism. And it just so happens that two of the premier philosophers of the 20th century, Jean-Paul Sartre and Simone de Beauvoir, were uh, non-monogamous life partners. And that got covered and in part of the 
unit just because, you know, you cover a little bit of like the life history of the philosophers you're discussing. And you can see in their work that they kind of they build off of each other and they're having a, you know, a clear dialogue and they grow together. And that was because they were non-monogamous life partners. And I don't know, like I, I, I heard the the idea and like my initial response, courtesy of where I'd grown up, I was just like, wait, what? Um, that was like, de, I guess like de facto not okay. But being of, you know, at that point kind of like a, a philosopher by training, I guess in some very novice sense, like I understood that if I was going to reject it, I needed to start to like poke a hole in it. Like there needed to be something I could identify actively as unethical. And I just, I do remember sitting there in the classroom trying to like find that place where there was something problematic. And I was like, okay, but those are consenting adults who have been like, according to the story, honest with each other and everyone they're seeing and I kind of, yeah, there was a bit of a light bulb aha moment where I was like, okay. So I just concluded that monogamy is not the only ethical way to have a loving lifelong relationship. And that was kind of like my first encounter with it. I think I mentioned the idea is something like, cause Caitlin and I talked all the time and like I brought up the idea back in college. It wasn't something Didn't we were... Yeah, I don't. We just we weren't into going to actively explore then. I just found it fascinating. So I remember like taking it back to talk to you about the thing that I geeked out over in my existentialism class. Um, I have no memory of this. Yeah, that I makes fully sense. believe him, and I don't remember it at all. <laughs> yeah, no, but I mean, at the time too, it wasn't like we were like, oh, let's try this. Yeah, out. Like, it wasn't it was, like let's us be polyamorous. <laughs> like, yeah, I think that, that. I don't know exactly how that developed over time. I do. I, yeah, I think in college, and you, I'll let you tell that part of the story. But it, like the the end point was right after we moved out here, where I think we already knew we kind of wanted to explore some like additional elements to our relationship. Like I don't think we were poly when we decided we wanted to like go try out a swingers club for the first time. I think at that point we were just like, oh, we're in the Bay. Let's kind of like there's there's just a, a community and a more progressive mentality out here. But um, Dossie Easton swung by uh, Stanford for a visit during my first quarter of uh, law school at Stanford. Um, And I went to that talk because I'd gotten wind of like her existence and understood what the the talk was going to be about. And that fascinated me. And yeah. And for anyone who doesn't know, Dossie Easton wrote The Ethical Slot or co-wrote The Ethical Slot. Yeah. 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 Sorry. I was about to say, like, in that moment, I like I bought the book like on the spot after like the discussion with that small group of people in the room, and that was when I kind of like showed up back at home. I was like, I found a thing that I think we're both really like. <laughs> he like literally did. He walked in the door with this book, and it 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 was like a missionary with the Bible. He's like, I found it, <laughs> and you're like, I was like, what what did you what find? Did you I'm like halfway through making dinner. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. He's like, I have a book, <laughs> and it's not about law. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm thinking now, just as we tell this story again, um, that Julian sort of brought one piece of our movement into polyamory and I brought sort of the other side. And so Julian was kind of the, like the philosophy end, the, the, the vocabulary end. Julian kept like coming back. Yeah. The intellectualism. Julian kept coming back with the 
increasing exposure to the different varieties of relationships and particularly the different varieties of, you know, polyamory and non-monogamy that were happening in the world to other people and coming back with not only information about how those things were working, but that other people were doing them and the language that we needed, I think, to really get going in a functional polyamorous relationship. And then meanwhile, the background on my end to this whole thing. So as I mentioned, I don't have any memory of us talking about non-monogamous relationships in college. Um, But what I do remember is that we were in college. We were going to college parties. College parties are full of drunk, horny college students. And many of them are either single or unattached, or they've been in shorter relationships. And Julian and I were in this sort of weird place in college where we were in a pretty established, you know, half a decade long relationship already that put us at odds with a lot of our peers in that sort of social setting where people were like making out with each other and hooking up. And Julian and I were in the corner sort of trying to participate, but kind of unable to by virtue of the rules, capital R of society. And another confounding factor is that I am pansexual. I knew that when I started dating Julian, he's known that about me the whole time we've been together. Um, and as is, you know, sort of tradition in a lot of American colleges, men like when women kiss each other. And so we were often at these kind of college parties where there was a lot of social pressure and encouragement for me to explore a part of myself that is true, which is that I like kissing other women. And we stumbled a little ass backwards into some of that in that I sort of got drunk a few times and did some stuff that probably wasn't super respectful of my relationship with Julian. But rather than like freak out and us have big fights about it, we, for the most part, talked about it and muddled through. And there was, I think there was a specific point towards the end of college together where we had come up with this agreement. And it was that if I was put in a circumstance where I got to kiss a girl, that was okay with Julian, as long as I found him a girl that he could also kiss, which in retrospect is like absolutely toxic wrong. Toxic. Do yeah. not do that. Like, please don't do that. But we, we this were, is the stumbled ass backwards part. Yeah. But we were so dumb and it was working for us at the time. And it, it was did. everything we were doing then was purely casual at parties, etc. But I think that that was a really important piece of when we, when we got out to California, when we were looking at things like swingers clubs, we'd already been through this experience of like having independent kind of physical experiences and rejoining at the end of the night. And we would like separate at parties and then come back together. And we had been doing it in a pretty low key safe way. Like we hadn't been hooking up with other people, just making out in corners, but we'd, we'd sort of explored the edges of that a little bit in college and it had been fine. And so then, yeah, I, I remember Julian coming home with this book and being like, I found it. I found the good word. Um, we will be baptized immediately. And I, <laughs> um, <laughs> Very biblical talk for a family of atheists. I grew up with Mormons. Yeah. I, what do you want? <laughs> but it's amazing. And then, <laughs> good. And then on my end of things at the same time, so Julian's going to law school. Julian goes to this Dossie Easton talk, I think sort of randomly. I think you just decided to go. I don't remember it being like a plan. There wasn't like, and I'm going to this thing. Um, But he went and he came back. Meanwhile, I rarely have plans for anything. So that tracks. Yeah. Meanwhile, I was like slightly in love with a woman at my office and I had, 
I, this was early. Oh, I was slightly in love with this woman at my office and I had not really been, I had really told anybody about that. I didn't really know what to do with that information because I was, you know, we went to swingers clubs maybe twice, but like that wasn't the same thing. And I worked with this girl and she was like kind of my age and I thought she was very pretty and I didn't just want to like go to a swingers club with her. I wanted to like take her to dinner and bring her flowers. And I did not have any, I don't know, framework for that. And so right when Julian comes home with this book written about how we all can all just date whoever we want forever. And just many of them, I was like mid personal crisis about how to deal with the fact that I was having these feelings for someone that wasn't my husband. And like, do I just let them shrivel and die inside of me? Or do I bring it up? Or like, what do I do? Do I just like jump off a cliff now and like end it? And then I just don't have to worry about it. But yeah, so he comes home with this book and boom, I remember, I remember reading the book and like, I've read it a few times and I can, there are parts of it now that I think I have the thought process to critique, but at the time I just read it. And I think it struck both of us the same way where we were like, this is exactly what we want to do. Like I it just felt right to me and it felt right to me in a way that is kind of hard to describe. It just clicked. It resonated. Yeah, it resonated. We were there was something very authentic in it. I think both of us, like both of us had communicated over the course of college. We knew that we both had crushes on other people. We were never the type of couple who were like, Oh, I have eyes only for you and I never have feelings for anyone else. The idea for us behind like commitment at the time was that like, you make the active decision to remain faithful to each other, not that your brain just loses all human sexual and romantic attraction. Um, that was never right. how we were under the impression that relationships worked. And so, yeah, we, 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 we both were already acclimated to the idea of like crushing on and developing emotional attachments to other people. And in some sense, like that book was just like, Okay, so you like the book was permission. Yeah, the book was just like, okay, so why does commitment allow you to do like get the emotion to a certain place and then not continue to authentically explore where that like emotion and that connection and attraction might go? Like, that's a very artificial line to be drawing. Um, And so I think there was some element that was very intuitive for us. You're kind of speaking in terms of like, hey, I met this person of the opposite gender or gender different than mine, and we're or even the same gender, right? Then we we hit it off. We're really great friends. We're both sexually attracted to each other, but we can't. We just have to shut it down. Yep. And we can be, quote unquote, friends where we both know there's this whole other level, but that's not allowed. And and you're saying this was the permission to say like, yeah, fuck that. We can, we can go to that next level and see what that is. And maybe it's more, or maybe it is just friends. Like it's kind yeah. of similar to what you said, Caitlin, about like, yeah, me and my platonic wife, we we tried the next level and then we're like, nope, that didn't work. Now we're we're back to this place. Yeah, I think that's exactly correct. And I think uh, Julian and I are, are, well, I've definitely met, I've met polyamorous people who sort of actively choose polyamory and make that choice consciously every day on purpose. And they have to do it every day on purpose because it's not necessarily their default. My uh, girlfriend is one of those people. She is not, she would not have opted into polyamory, I think in a different version of her life, but she has in this version and I'm very grateful for it. Um, Whereas Julian and I are both 
the sort of, I'm going to call us innate polyamorists. I think that it is surprising to nobody who knew me as a child that I need like eight people to snuggle and like eight people to make cards for. I have just like a lot. I am a little in love with everybody all the time. And, <laughs> um, <laughs> it's very fun, but it also means that like finding polyamory made sense to me in that way because exactly like what you were saying, it, it gave me this mental permission to explore the depth of all of my individual relationships without arbitrary rules about what those depths could be or where those relationships could end up. Um, and Julian's a similar guy. Julian would live his most ideal life. I think in like a giant compound with like 300 people who all just really, really love each other. 300 a lot. Like Julian's the ultimate uh, I think called herd poly herd poly yeah herd poly I mean, so it's like I just like what like love having a, a, a community around me um, like people where at least a number of them would be partners here in this ideal world it would almost be like a tribe um, yeah yeah well and did I did I catch it right that before the Das Easton talk, before you found the non-Bible Bible, <laughs> you had gone to some swing clubs. Was that just like the welcome kit to San Francisco makes that <laughs> what you have to do? Or was that was that part of like well, the, the... Were the swing clubs after the ethical slut? That's the... You know, the, swing, the swinger clubs were before. We only went, I think, once or maybe twice. They weren't really our scene. Um, yeah, well, specifically that one was... The, the one I think we're thinking of is not yeah, our scene. Yeah, not our scene. Um, it was, that that seems like a pretty intentional decision, though, to, like, go, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. you don't just – I guess you can stumble into one probably <laughs> in San Francisco. No, I mean, we had to, like, apply and send pictures and stuff. It was okay. interesting. Um, no, so it, it was in part the welcome kit to San Francisco. You know, we were moving out to, like, slutty hippie California and figured we should see what that was about. Um, but also, um, like – I was already Julian, kinky. Julian is kinky. I yeah. was exploring kink at the time. Um, and so we were looking for kink opportunities and there's a decent overlap between sort of swinger communities and kink communities out here. Um, which is how we ended up in some of those spaces early on. Um, and as you know, with our background from like making out with other people in college, we were like open to the idea that maybe a swingers club would be fun. But again, it didn't end up being our vibe. The kink clubs did a little more. So we spent a little more time there, but I think yep. those were a little less um, impactful on sort of our polyamory journey than the, the swingers clubs, which actually were sort of impactful in that we figured out that the more swinging end of things where stuff Not is, our vibe. yeah, where stuff is strictly physical and like less emotional didn't work for us because Julie and I are both very emotional people. <laughs> Learning what you're not into, very important part of the journey. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It is. And the fact that you were able to try that and we're like, well, no, that's not really, not really for me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But you didn't really know exactly where you were going. That was like, you know, early on. Right. So oh, yeah. it was yeah, like, was this isn't really for us. Yeah. Yeah. So, so was the first time you tested the, let's say the love or the emotion, the feelings was with your coworker who you were initially slightly in love with. And it sounded like Julian was skeptical that it was a, a slight amount. <laughs> yes. I ended up extremely in love with her. So that's what he's alluding to. Um, yeah. Was that the first test really? I suppose it was. Yes. I dated briefly dated that like a woman named Holly. 
way back in the day? We had sort of a, we had an interesting, I think, beginning. Um, we tried dating as a couple once. Like one time, Rapidly I think. discovered why that's not considered a good idea. It's very awkward. It didn't make <laughs> sense to us. It's like, wait, how do we, how oh, do you approach a first kiss? Wait, what like, the, so the two of you went on a date with one other person or with another couple? Yeah. With one other person. Yeah. So, sort of sort of unicorn hunter vibes, but we weren't trying to unicorn hunt. We just both matched with her, I think, on an app and figured it would be easier if the three of us went out together. And we definitely were like, oh, maybe we would date someone like together, but that Sounded has never romantic. that has never happened, not one time. <laughs> we have both ended up dating the same person, but Caitlin got together but with not her as a a unit. like a year after I did. Yeah. We've never dated as a unit. Yeah. We sort of we like read the book and we sort of decided we were going to be polyamorous. And then we like, we were like, we're going to, we're just going to do that now. And so there was this sort of weird early phase, but I would say the first, <laughs> the first year or so where I was mostly dating app profiles. Like, okay, how does modern dating work? Also like I'm in law school. I didn't like, there was no, like, I'm not going to find like Stanford law is not where a bunch of polyamorists end up. No. Like we're, there are a few of us scattered in between some of us keeping it pretty on the down low, but overall, right. Law school is a lot of guys, a lot of people who are rep, like focused on their reputation and rather like, you know, conformist and straight laced as far as uh, social expectations and standards go. So it was like, I definitely wasn't going to be finding partners within my immediate cohort. Yeah. So, yeah, right. so in the early in the early section, we were sort of dating haphazardly. Like, we were using OkCupid and other dating apps. I would say Julian was doing more dating than I was um, in general. I think he was more motivated, and I was, like, a little in love with this girl at my office, so I was a little distracted Especially by that. Especially when we moved in with her. Yes, then we moved in with her. Um, I will say, she, like, <laughs> wait, was wait, not... Wait. <laughs> She was not dating me. So as far as this was, this was really relevant to the polyamory of like me and Julian's relationship because he knew I was super in love with her, but her like, opinion she, of her, she, she knew, but didn't, she just sort of tried to like ignore it. Um, and so that was very complicated and bizarre. That's a whole other podcast, that relationship just by itself. Um, yeah, that would be an episode. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> but it did, you know, in that same time where I was like pining over this woman like a lot, Julian was sort of going on dates. So he was doing sort of the, I don't know, functional prescriptive thing. And I was doing the emotional thing. Once again, we have like sort of the intellectual side and we have the like feeling side. And I was the feeling side and Julian was the intellectual side. And I was looking for the feelings. It did happen <laughs> for a little bit. Yeah. And so we did that for a bit. And we started telling people we were polyamorous and then they would ask us how many partners we had or how long that had been the case. And we would say like, Oh, like three weeks and none. And we're like, okay. <laughs> I love it. I, but, but we're confident we're poly and we're we going to declare that. Yeah. We're going to declare that. And that's the case. Yeah. First real big partnership was I like, yeah, it would have been like, yeah, me and Heather. Um, mm -hmm. That was in my second year of law school. That was, I suppose. So it was test. So almost a year or so into, or a year and a half ish into like the declaration, and and you answered my question perfectly that I that I was going to ask, which is basically like you read the book and you're just like, well, this is us now, yeah. and we just flipped a switch and we turned yep. on the polyamory and and away we went. I love it. Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> I, I, I was like, I feel like I'd love to have a better, like, you know, slow growth moment. But no, we didn't really have a slow growth moment. We did all of our growing after. We, like, made a decision. Oh, and then we read, you know, we read, like, all of the books. Uh, at least I you did. did. I read, I read opening two up. And then stopped. I read more than two. I, like, Googled. I was like, polyamory books. And there, at the time, were, like, two of them or whatever. And I, I read them. I listening to podcasts occasionally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. How, how long ago was this? Uh, it was fall of 2014. Fall of 2014. <laughs> like six months after we okay. got married, we were like, oh, monogamy, so, fuck it. Yeah. So about eight years ago. <laughs> going okay. On. Yeah. yeah. Just to get, give a little bit of context in the time frame. Yeah. And and you said you did all of your growing or a lot of your growing. Let's let's say after after the declaration was made. So how what did that? What did that growth look like? I mean, we some pro- combination of riding a thrilling roller coaster and stepping on a rake. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like it that's, was really pleasurable. That's I'm, a wonderful <laughs> description if I've ever heard yeah. one. <laughs> that's correct. That's what it feels like. Well, and I think so, our I think our growth probably, you know, I think our growth happened in sort of three directions. One was sort of our growth as a couple, as a unit, as a polyamorous couple, as a polyamorous married couple. And then obviously we both, I think, had our own like individual growth experiences from that. And like, for me, like my, my biggest growth from the beginning of our relationship that I am eternally grateful for. And I recommend to anybody, whether or not you are polyamorous was that I was really forced to really like myself and (laughs) it was so good for me. And I maintain that it's really not that difficult to like her. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I think I'm great now. Unless, unless you're her, because I can admit that the like self love and self like are are it's hard. So, yeah, those yeah. could be harder. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll quote my my great sage Brene Brown. Uh, she says, "I'm dangerous. I like myself so much." And like that's where I am now, but that is not where I was eight years ago. Yeah. And Julian had has always had the more sort of active dating life in terms of regularity of dates and being out of the house. And when that started happening early on, and I was like. I know we talked about being polyamorous, but I didn't know it would mean that you would leave me here by myself. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, hold on, wait. I thought I also got to do stuff. Um, and a lot of that was on me. I just, I'm not great at dating apps. I don't like them. They make me unhappy. And so Julian, I think, also doesn't like them, but perseveres better than I do. Yeah, that. So- <laughs> I, was say, I cannot claim I enjoy them. I view that they, they seem necessary in order to meet people necessary evil yeah necessary evil yeah that's exactly what they are yeah um, but he was out a lot and that was very hard for me at first made me feel very lonely and then i would like lay in the room and i would just you know create narratives about who he was with and what she was doing or what they were doing or where they were all or, of which were inaccurate all of which of yeah. course that's always how they they're are. always inaccurate but i would create all these stories about what was happening and it wasn't all even your traditional jealousy thoughts which i did have you know maybe she's like way prettier than me maybe she's like way more mature than me or way smarter than me or maybe they could just click better and this is the end you know i definitely had those thoughts but i also had a lot of thoughts where i was just like why does he get to go to a nice dinner for the third time this week? Like, why am I microwaving chicken? 
And he is out on a nice date. Have you ever microwaved chicken in your life? I have when it's leftover from when I cooked it the night oh. before. <laughs> to say, I don't think like you weren't cooking <laughs> ovens and shit. You're not going to put chicken in a microwave. Hey, My uncle does that. You weren't there, Julian. You don't know. You weren't there. Not <laughs> <laughs> microwave. Um, but yeah, it was that feeling of like there. There was a lot of like, why is he having fun and I'm not? And then it was funny because right. I simultaneously was like, well, if I want to have fun, I should just go date people. But then I kind of didn't want to do that either. I was very pleased with what I was doing, which was not that. Um, so I actually had this beautiful sort of self-love renaissance where I started making his date nights, my date nights with myself. And sometimes I would genuinely take myself out to dinner and I tried to like leave my phone and like leave everything. And like, I would try to like talk to the bartender. I would sit at the bar. I would order like a really nice lobster biscuit, a martini or like something kind of indulgent. And I would try to just be there and (laughs) try to just enjoy (laughs) myself. And I got into like, I got a membership at a spa. And so sometimes he would go on dates and I'd be like, you know what? Date night is spa night. And I would take myself to the spa and I would spend hours in the hot tub and the salt room. And I would just like lay around like a slug and it was great. And I started really looking forward to Julian having dates because I got these really awesome indulgent nights with myself where, where apparently you turned into a slug. Yes. That's the animal of choice for this description. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Just sort of squishy and blob-like, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I, mean, I would say that probably took six months at least before my feelings about his dates went from, like, you know, neutral at best to being like actively excited. And that I remember the first, like one of the first times that I canceled the date and you were irritated. I was so mad that I, that the date had, (laughs) but I was not leaving the house. It's like, that wasn't the reaction I was expecting, but okay. Yeah. I was like, I was going to drink this rosé and watch twilight and you have ruined that for me. I love it. I love. Yeah. Uh, I, I love it. And I want to just say like, you're like, well, that took about six months. Like that's not very long. Like to, to me, six months is pretty fast to be able to come full circle on the, like this I'm laying in bed frustrated and maybe crying or scared or worried to like, why aren't you going on more dates? Like that's a, that's a why big shift in a relatively short period of time. Yeah. Why are you still here? <laughs> <laughs> Well, and I will, I will caveat that with that got me through that sort of first, I don't know. I had a couple mental breakthroughs about polyamory as we went along. And the first one was that, that sort of self-love aspect and the being alone aspect and the really valuing my time with myself, which was what hit me first. Um, I was more confronted with that than I was by the threat of Julian's sexual life or the threat of his emotional life. I was more just threatened by my existence as like an independent person in this world. And so I, I dealt with that in the first six ish months. Um, but I hadn't yet dealt with those other two things, which then I had to deal with as his, you know, series of first dates changed from that into second and third dates and girlfriends and like, new casual partners who I wasn't threatened by because they were only going to be here for 10 minutes and then leave. And then, you know, so yeah, the first year and a half, right. I didn't, nothing really like snowballed into a lasting relationship. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I guess the the first major 
in that category was when I was clear that I, for the first time, was falling in love with somebody else. Yes. And that was, yeah, yeah. about a year and a half in. And then I had to deal with that, which was not the same thing. Yeah. No, no. It goes from more casual feeling to much more serious. Oh, well, yeah. And I want to, I want to definitely dig into that, but like, maybe it'd be a good time to like check in with Julian. Like what was going on for you through all of this? Like, cause yeah, she, yeah. Caitlin's Caitlin's like kicking back with Rose slugging it up in the spa. Like <laughs> what's, what's going on on your end? Like you're navigating this as well for the first time. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Mostly actually, like, I feel like a number of my, like most of my struggles were probably very akin actually to what like m- most like single monogamous people are going through on dating apps, which is like the frustration of like the kind of constant rejection. Like while she was working on self-love, I was getting a, in a, my ego was taking a beat down because, you know, you're on like dating apps and stuff and on OkCupid where you had the option of like, sending an introduction message, you put a bunch of effort into introduction messages and then nobody responds. And like on something like Tinder, you you swipe right 200 times before you get a match. And then one in like five matches turns into a conversation. And then one in five conversations turns into a date. So it's just like this, like like ongoing grind to even get to meet people like face to face as, and like interact as human beings rather than as just like kind of like a game of hot or not on a screen. And yeah, there's like something like for me, a lot of it was feeling like I was dealing with more like frustration and kind of like hopelessness. And, uh, you know, when we when we did go out to events and things, I mean, in some senses, it's always I've always had the kind of like the perception in the background that I had to emotionally grapple with where like Caitlin could avoid being on the dating apps because she didn't need to be because when Caitlin goes places, she's hot. People pay attention like the attention actually just kind of like naturally comes her way whereas like i'm a you know large black guy in largely white spaces um kind of i'm you know my own version of quirky and odd as may have become apparent during this conversation and like there was not that kind of like natural flow of energy and attraction and interest towards me um and it was difficult to grapple with that from a self-esteem perspective i would say i've like and that didn't necessarily stop when I like fell in love or did have serious partnerships. Like a lot of my growth over the course of this is I've been like, not so much like self love is in just like kind of like it's it's like self esteem and self worth. Um, Cause it can be hard to like view yourself positively when it feels like so many other people are not viewing you that way. Like there's so many other people you're like a hard no. And it's like, well, what's wrong with me? And like the reality, of course, intellectually is that it's, you know, I mean, in chemi- you, no, nobody has chemistry with everybody. And like, you're never going to be all too many people's types unless you're like Shakira levels of hot. Um, but it's, yeah, like, like the thing that I was really grappling with was how tough it is to like get anyone's attention. Um, definitely like caused a number of like body image issues for a long time i ended up in spectacular shape but at some cost to like i think like healthy self-worth and like definitely at some cost to my mental health and in the middle of all of this i was in law school which is one of the most soul-sucking grueling dehumanizing experiences within like i think the educational system writ large so yeah a lot of what i was pushing through wasn't 
like the the jealousy elements because Caitlin wasn't dating too much. And also I discovered, I just, I am actually, I am just kind of like lucky. I'm one of the people who doesn't experience much in the way of jealousy. He really um, does not. Yeah. And it's, uh, I don't know. Some people have seemed to almost like praise or congratulate me on that. I was like, that wasn't something I did. That's just some, like my brain coincidentally works that way. It's like when people congratulate you for being intelligent, you're like, I didn't do any, that, that it just kind of happens. Uh, I was born that way. I was not responsible for this. Um, but yeah, I, I don't experience much jealousy. So that wasn't my struggle. My struggle is it ha- like, and continues to kind of be just like viewing myself as like attractive and interesting and maintaining my sense of self and self-worth through the kind of like constant rejection paradigm that is online dating. And yeah, I was like, as yeah, somebody who was like in law school and as a student, I wasn't in many places doing many things. Like huge portions of my time were occupied by all of the work I needed to be doing. And so I wasn't, you know, it wasn't like in, in college where like my lifestyle probably would have made it a little bit easier to be poly because, you know, you participate in clubs and sports and you go to events and things. Once I was in law school, like mostly I was just surrounded by my fellow law students and, you know, even you know, a year and a half in when I did end up falling in love, it was with one of the very few other law students who was, uh, I discovered was non-monogamous. So it wasn't through like a dating app. It wasn't somebody I could find that way. It was, uh, actually some, uh, she was one of my friend's girlfriends at the time and had no idea they were non-monogamous, uh, until like several months later that, 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 that story can also be its own other podcast of like us kind of like, discovering each other because it turns out she was also uh kinky um and everything so like but uh for a while we were both like sitting there in law school like okay probably shouldn't tell anyone anything about us because people around here be judgy yeah yeah Yeah. well like thank you for sharing all of that too because it's really each of you were going through well like your i think caitlin said it a little while ago your own individual relationship discoveries, but very separate individual growth journeys as well. Yeah. And that's very evident after, after everything that you both shared. Yeah. I like, I just, uh, you know, it's something I hadn't really thought of about the psychological toll that you said, right. You swipe, well, you swipe right on 200 people, you know, let's, let's say if you're lucky, five of those turn into a match and five of those turn into a conversation. And one of those turns into a date it's really hard to believe that that one person is like, I don't want to say right, but like, it's so easy to take all of the negatives, right? All of the rejection and say like, man, there's like hundreds and hundreds of examples of people saying like, I'm not good enough. This one person like, yeah, I don't know if I trust them. Right. And then you just get really shitty on yourself. And like, oh, yeah. I can, no, I still remember I can, like one of the most, the, the most terrible feelings is if you're on Tinder and you set like, a, you know, you're like, oh, like within like, you know, you have like a 10 mile thing. And if you swipe to the point where it's like, oh, no one else within this thing, it's like, Jesus, fuck, there's no one like within 10 miles of me, there's nobody attracted to me. Cool. That feels great. Right. Yeah, I, yeah. yeah. It, it, your brain doesn't go. Oh, well, only some people on Tinder. Your brain is convinced everyone's on Tinder. A lot of people. Yeah, the whole yeah. world. Yeah, the entire world. <laughs> on well, and I think it's really true that there's a lot of a sort of emotional struggle to the dynamic between like loving yourself and loving other people, whatever your relationship structure is. 
um, that like polyamory doesn't fix, even though I think some people would expect it to. And potentially exacerbates depending on like who you are. And like one thing I can just think of off the top of my head is every single one of us has experienced every single one of us that's had a long enough or a deep enough emotional relationship with another person. It doesn't have to be romantic has like walked into a room with that other person and been like, man, I am ugly today. And had that other person be like, no, you're not. You're beautiful. And you are like, fuck you. You are full of shit. And you're supposed to say that. Yeah. You have to say that. You're obligated to say that. That was part of the marriage contract. Yeah. (laughs) Every one of us has done that. Those of us with spouses have done it a lot. You know, and you start just tuning out the people closest to you. And so when you're talking about like, should I listen to the opinion of that one person who went out on this date with me or like the 199 that didn't, we all do that. And I have talked to some people that sort of seem to think that being polyamorous or having multiple partners would increase your sense of self-worth and maybe it could. I would hope it does, Um, but it doesn't necessarily. And then you just have like, more people being like, but you're gorgeous. And you're like, you're all lying to me. All five of you. You're all biased. All of you are lying. And all the other people in the world that aren't you people are correct. The other thing I've pointed out is this is more along the joking line, but it's specifically men. Once you mention you're polyamorous, they're like, Oh, it must be like great for your ego to have like you with a whole bunch of women. I was like, I need you to understand part of this. And that, so you imagine your one relationship where when you do something dumb, you hear about it. Now imagine you're in four relationships and they're in communication with each other. When you do something dumb, <laughs> four people are giving you shit about it. So I, it's like, I'm not sure how much, like your, your visions of this ego stoking are kind of like, like a narrative you pulled from Pornhub. Because what actually happens is you say, forget one of your partner's birthday gifts when you're driving over, like over to like down to, I was driving down to Monterey halfway there. Like you're like, shit, I forgot the gift. And then your wife texts you, Julian, you like, no, I texted you. I think it's like, fuck, I forgot the gift. And then 15 minutes later, before I'm even there, Sarah texts me, Julian, you idiot. How did you forget my fucking gift? That's what polyamory actually looks like. Cause you don't make it from one place to another without having berated yourself for forgetting a gift and then we having two other people do it too. And then your other partner getting wind of it later and being like, are you serious? (laughs) (laughs) And most dangerous once your partners unionize. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Well, and I, I, I love the levity there, but also like the truth behind it, right. That like you, the self adulation about, yeah, just like, it's hard sometimes to override your own narrative. And I, I think what was really fascinating about your both of your journeys, the first, let's call it year or so, is Caitlin, you are on this like self-love like upswing of like, I'm loving me and you're like coming into it. At the same time, Julian's like just spiraling into yeah. like some dark places. But were you able to like throughout this, were you able to like lean on each other and confide in each other and support each other? Or did you feel like we have to sort of do this in a vacuum because, you know, well, they'll never understand. Well, I think we did a little bit of both, um, especially even earlier on, like the very, the beginning of the first year, we were really communicative. We were talking about everything. Um, and then I think Mm -hmm. as, 
I think as some of our personal stuff got a little more difficult, I know I like turned inward some for like when I started confronting real jealousy issues around Julian's like emotional connection to other partners, that was something I felt like I just had to deal with me. And I did. Um, And I think, I mean, we keep bringing up law school, but the law school was a really like difficult confounding factor for us. Julian was really stressed and really busy and that spiral um, was occurring on far more fronts than just the polyamory thing a lot of it was tied up in like living on four hours of sleep every day and trying to read like hundreds of pages a week Mm. yeah Yeah. and so what what i think we got really good at doing eventually not early on this was a long process but what we got good at doing was finding ways to like come together to co-regulate yeah and then dealing with our individual things as much as possible on our own when we needed to. Um, Part of it being that sometimes I did like, like a lot, like, you know, with 2020 hindsight, I can see with clarity what a number of the things I was struggling with were and how various things are impacting with me, but at the impacting with me, what impacting me, but at the time, you know, like I'm busy as hell. I'm exhausted. And a lot of the time I'm just feeling shitty and feeling shitty about myself, and I don't know why. So it's, I can't really turn to Caitlin for all too much support because it's like the kind of nuanced conversation we have right now, I didn't have like that level of self-understanding. I'm not even sure how much of like that, like the vocabulary of like self-knowledge and self-learning I had at the time. And so it was, you know, in some ways impossible to turn to Caitlin for support because you have to have some sort of concrete cognizable idea of what is hurting you and what kind of support you need before you can like turn to your partner for support. So in the, in the midst of just like a morass of confusion, there was a lot that I had to deal with on my own just cause I would, you know, like had to figure out what the hell was going on. And I think it's like, it's worth noting that during this same period, Julian got diagnosed with depression and ADHD. Um, so we were like, we were doing a lot of stuff at the same time. And we were doing a lot of work on sort of what Julian's experiences with himself and like with his mental state, like how that impacted our relationship and how that impacted his other relationships. And all make me realize why I tend to forget, do things like forget birthday gifts when I'm driving to someone's birthday though. That's correct. Then at least an explanatory factor. Yes. Right. Um, right. Which in some ways I'm sure is a relief. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like it helps, it helps like crystallize like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, it made me, made me feel like less like an idiot, right? Like the self-loathing on, on those fronts can diminish some when you're like, well, my brain doesn't organize very well. So I'm going to leave the house without my wallet at least once every week or two. Um, yeah. 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 That was all stuff we were, in many ways stumbling through, but I think that one of the, what, one of the sort of central, I don't know, vibes that Julian and I have like as a couple and that we've always had, regardless of how great or bad we've been doing at any given moment, we've always had this sort of intense dedication to both giving our relationship like every chance it was going to get neither of us is someone that was going to cut out early because stuff got a little hard or even like a lot hard. We were both, we're both people that were like, we are going to try like 
our, you know, our agreement at marriage was to give this 110%. And, you know, if we do that, and then at some point we agree it didn't work, then say la vie, but like, we're both going to give it 110%. And so we were doing that through some really hard stuff. And I actually think that that was a point where um, our other relationships saved our marriage because we were both so tired and so like, I don't know, confused about how to move through some of the, you know, some of the like difficulties we were moving through. Um, and we'd gotten to a point where we were both inundated with our own issues enough that we really couldn't, we couldn't lean on each other because we were both at no, we were both, both running on empty. And so it was like just this sad, mutual broken down car in the street and our partners were tow trucks and it was great. And they came from both ends and like rescued both of us some, in some ways from each other, like long enough to take a break, long enough to reset long enough to, I still remember there was, um, you had, it was family and community, right? Like yeah. when, cause like any given two per person kind of goes through like, you know, dips and upswings. And as a couple, sometimes if you both dip at the same time, I mean, shit really hard. Um, and that's yeah. Community and like chosen family come in as kind of like saviors then, because the more people you add, the lower the odds that everyone's dipping the same way at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. We've both, I think that that was one of those that, moments it kind of like cemented how much like we valued the level of community that being non-monogamous often brings. And obviously you can accomplish that without being non-monogamous. But uh, for us, there was a, a, a very strong communal factor uh, that remains tied into our like non-monogamous lifestyle. And we have, there are other people we can very much count on if like we're in mutual downswings or just in need of some form of like, Support and also obviously other people who you're emotionally intimate with and close to are going to bring other perspectives to like, you know, whatever you're experiencing or however you're behaving, you know, there's just the raw logical advantage to multiple viewpoints that comes in. So yeah, it's, there's, uh, it has done a lot. Like there's been a lot in terms of like supporting us and helping us both grow. And I, I do still remember I had, a partner that I was seeing at a point where Julian and I had been having a really rough few months together, just really rough time. And I was on a date with this other guy, um, who I'd been seeing for a while. We were really comfortable together. I was honestly really relieved to like be out of the house. And I was like, I'm just going to like leave it behind and forget about it for an evening. And of course I didn't do that. I ended up gushing about all the things I was stressed about as many people do. And he, you know, listened to me, which was great. And then when I was done and he paused and he looked at me and he was like, now tell me all the things that you really like about your marriage. And he wasn't like, he wasn't challenging me. He knew that there was an answer to that question and he knew it was a long and good answer. And he just wanted to hear me say it because I had just spent, you know, a lot of time and energy focusing on the negative. And he was there to be like, let's hear the good stuff. And I felt so much better. And it's cool to have, um, 
you know, like Julian said, not just the other perspectives though, of people that know you really well. And, you know, we sort of practice a very kitchen table style poly. So my partners don't just know me. They, excuse me, they also know Julian. His partners also know me. Like we all are close and we like it that way, but it means that the, you get that extra perspective and you also get encouragement and a lot of support. Like I have more support from my other partners for my other relationships than like anything else, you know, everyone cheerleads all of my, all my partners cheerlead all of my relationships and get really excited for me when stuff goes well. And when stuff isn't going well in my other partnerships, those people also step up and like encourage me to, you know, make good decisions for myself, but also to like keep a positive mindset and like to grant the amount of like grace and compassion to the people around me that they deserve. So yeah, that's amazing. Somewhere in there yeah. where the moment no, I, where the step on a rake analogy comes in <laughs> somewhere, somewhere. Yeah. yeah I, I don't know where, um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I think just Caitlin, thank you for sharing that piece because that point you bring up is sometimes I think overlooked, easily overlooked in that you have, if everyone's supporting each other, you have this, it's almost, it's like chosen family, right? You have Mm -hmm. this network of people in your life um, that love you and care about you and will be there to support you. And um, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. Um, To your point, Julian, what were you going to say about the stepping on a rake? Oh, so, you know, in and amidst like that pain of, um, like sometimes the people who are supporting you are also the people letting you know that you just kind of like did it to your did wh- whatever bad thing is happening was partially self-caused. So like the community is all, also like, I don't know, at least I've enjoyed that, like w- part of the intimacy that you develop with other people. And part that I think is m- might even like sometimes be like, at least in my life has sometimes been missing from like friendships. Is it like your friends usually just like, like at least in my experience, my friends like have my back or something. Whereas like my community and my partners not don't just have my back. They'll also like call me on my shit. So if I step on a rake and try to say somebody else hit me in the face, <laughs> I get called out on it, which is an important part of learning and growth. Like if you because invariably, like we all in our the story we tell ourselves typically involves us being the heroic figure. Uh, we see ourselves as our own protagonists, and sometimes you're not the protagonist. Sometimes you, like you are, or definitely not the victim. Sometimes you just kind of like tripped in a hole that you saw, um, or, or dug, dug yourself. <laughs> your, yeah. Or dug. So yeah. You dug the hole yeah. And, fell into it and started complaining about it. It's like, uh, who left this hole here? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yep. yeah those are yep. important growth and learning experiences too, that can be brought on through like kind of like having very intimate communities. Yeah complex lenses for self-reflection. Yeah. And you have to be open to it, right? Because if you're not, if you're not in a place where you're open, open to that feedback or open to that potential of growth, like it can be extra painful. Like you're just, you're so resistive to it. Um, It can be challenging and painful. Not that I've ever experienced that, but I I can imagine. (laughs) Well, and, for I mean, other people. It, it's true that there's a lot of, I think, really high emotional skill 
that comes from all ends to create that that environment. Um, because not only do you know, not only do you have to be open to your own faults or the potential for them and open to growth and open to feedback, but the people around you also have to be adept enough to like bring like, I don't know, have the guts to bring that to you and be able to bring that to you in a way that can be received. Like it's a really, that is a lot of really high level, I think, emotional and social processing and, I mean, every, everyone's heard the joke a thousand times about, you know, polyamory is like, everyone thinks polyamory is all sex and it's like no sex and all feelings. It's just talking about your feelings. A lot of Google calendars. It's a lot of Google calendars and a lot of talking about feelings. I have so many scheduled feelings talks now in my life, like just regular, like feelings, check-ins. And they're so good for you because you do practice those skills and you do, I think, get to this place where you can hopefully really grow regularly and like head problems off before they even really grow into real problems. But that is not without like lots of years of practice and plenty of mistakes. And, and I mean, as with all of this, that's also not to say that you can, you have to be non-monogamous to learn those skills. I don't think you do. I think that that's something that anybody could learn, but I do think that non-monogamy will sort of force, force you to learn those skills. Cause if you don't, yeah. you will either stop being non-monogamous very quickly or you'll be very, very upset all the time. So <laughs> like, yeah, you kind of have to, you have a choice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Learn you're either going to be good at or, this or, or you're going to do something else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and maybe that kind of takes us to, you kind of talked about like the three pillars that you were kind of, your let's call them your three pillars of growth, right? There was the like initial Julian's dating. Now you're on to, oh shit, Julian just fell in love. Now, now how do we adapt? And, and I know then there was a third one and I know we could probably talk to you for like another two hours, but maybe we cover those and sort of some of the, the nuances there. And then Maybe there's a part two. We can get the, uh, the, the moved in with the moved in with the coworker story and the fell in love with the, the, law, school. the law school student story on parts yep. two, three, four, five, six. Well, part two with me falling in love with somebody is also the law school student story, which then also actually would be one of my huge growth experience stories. I were like would. I, I, maybe Caitlin will agree with this. I suppose I haven't checked in on like whether like I feel myself as in some ways like fundamentally different as a person than I was like two or three years ago. It just Correct. happens that if you face like if you if your rake stepping moment tanks a life partnership, that uh, will teach you a lot of lessons that you would have preferred to learn an easier way. Um, and so that 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 is the story of the uh, law school student I fell in love with, who fortunately I am back to being friends with now and talking to. But uh, that came to a tumultuous and unfortunate ending, um, yeah. which kind of was informational. Yeah, well, I mean that sounds. Maybe it is best to do that as part two and part three, so we can get into that, like, and give it the justice it deserves. Um, no law joke intended there, but the. Um, that would, I think that would be great because if you, if, if it truly did bring you out the other side as a different person and, and Caitlin, you were pretty in fact, emphatic about that. Like, I don't, I don't want to gloss over that. Um, yeah. for me. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, and there's, there's angles to that that I think could be covered a lot faster. Like, you know, me dealing with Julian being in love. I think that's a much shorter, a shorter story. Um, so I mean, we can run that part if you want. Go for it. Well, I'm wondering if maybe like we just keep everybody like waiting with bated breath and, and leave leave them with a cliffhanger, but maybe we could, um, one of our, one of our favorite questions to ask people is around a blooper and it doesn't have to be necessarily sexual. It could be just relationship or just whatever. But, um, we tend to throw that in towards the end to just sort of show everybody that everything doesn't always go perfectly, which I think you've proven, but it's always (laughs) good to drive the point home. And I have one other comment, but I'll save it till post blooper because yeah. So if you have a blooper, we would love to hear it. Oh man. (laughs) I was like, of course you're like, they don't have to be sexual, but of course my first like eight are all like just (laughs) horribly awkward sexual moments. Um, Well, no, no. Then let's hear, let's hear all eight. That's totally fine. (laughs) They didn't say they don't have to be, but they can. When you and I are thinking of simultaneously. Yeah. I wonder if it is. I think it was less weird for you. Um, I'll tell you my, my favorite funny sex blooper. Um, I was out with who this woman at the time was our mutual girlfriend. We weren't dating her as a unit, but we were both dating her independently, but it was her and my anniversary. And we were out late at our anniversary and Julian was on a date with another woman. This is the one back at home, um, about an hour away. And so she and I finished up what we were doing and I, we get in the car and I'm like, text Julian, let him know we're on the way home. So she does. We're driving and the whole car ride, she and I are talking about how tired we are. We've been at a concert. We've been jumping and screaming and drinking and we are just ready to go to bed. And we are like so excited to get home and go to bed. And I'm like, I hope this woman is not still at the house. Not because I have anything against this woman that's on a date with Julian, but because if she is, I'm going to have to be nice. And I am out of like emotional energy to meet somebody and be nice And I just want to put on pajamas and go to sleep. And this other woman that's in the car with me is like, yeah, absolutely. I agree. I hope she's not there. So we get home. Lights are all on in the house. Doors are all open. She's clearly not here anymore because when someone's there and you're having a moment, all the doors are closed and all the lights are off. No, all the lights are on, all the doors are (laughs) on. Great. And so she and I, like arm in arm, go storming into the bedroom when we round the corner and there's Julian face deep in another woman. (laughs) And we backpedaled so fast that I hit the wall and fell over (laughs) trying to get out of the room and like scramble back out. And then we're in the like living room. At which point I noticed something had happened because someone slammed into a wall. Yeah. So he hears some crazy thud. So then she and I are in the living room. Like, what do we do? All of our stuff's in there. Your stuff's in there. My stuff's in there. What do we do? And I was like, I'll crawl in mission impossible style and I'll yank your backpack and we'll run for it. And I did that. And I like crawled below the bed height and I nabbed her bag and I dragged it back out into the living room. And then we like made ourselves a little bed on the couch and went to sleep there. And (laughs) apparently they like came out to try to like make drinks and be friendly. And we'd fully gone to sleep on the couch, but that was a good one. Mission impossible floor. Don't recommend. (laughs) Which elevates the importance of the Google calendar. Um, which yeah. I, I think we touched on. Checking your phone. I'm checking your phone and closing doors when you're having intimate moments with people. I thought you were going to be gone for a lot longer. <laughs> <laughs> also, I'm quite oxygen deprived. 
I was quite oxygen deprived. <laughs> yeah, you can't blame Julian. He was a little bit blue in the face. That was meant to be a reference to like yeah. my breastplate kink and just came out very differently in the context it of was, that specific. It was better without clarifying, honestly. <laughs> it might have been. You can remove the clarification. Mm. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love I that was, yeah, they, that's. That was an amazing story. And thank you so much for everything that you shared. We're excited for a part two. I know you said you had a comment. No, go ahead. Go. Oh, yeah. I just wanted to say thank you. And we're excited to continue this conversation. You know, I think, yeah, there's obviously a lot more to dig into here. And both of you have been so, I don't know, wonderful in how much you've been able to share. And I appreciate the vulnerability. And um, it, yeah, it's been wonderful. So thank you. Yeah, I'll, I'll echo the gratitude. And I think what what I was thinking throughout some of this is like when we first started talking, The so sometimes we talk to people who are like, polyamory is great. We've never had any problems. It's been perfect. And it's kitchen table. And we all just what? sit around and have a potluck every day. And I and like when we started talking, I was like, you're like, I've got a wife and I've got partners and Julian's got partners and this and that. And I'm like, yeah, these fucking people again. And then like <laughs> when we get into it and and it's like, You've, you've clearly, you've clearly gotten to a place like when you first shared, like, it seems like you are in a good place with how you approach this and, and, and that it is in some ways probably much easier than it was eight years ago, but hearing the, like the journey from there, the to, real shit, the, yeah, the journey from <laughs> there to here. And like, I don't know, it's been beautiful and I really appreciate it. And not that I'm wishing that you guys had tri tribulations along the way, but that it is just very authentic and I appreciate it hu that. It humanizes yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. So I, I mean, we're possibly better for them. I'm not sure we're happier for them, but we're better Some for them. Some of them I am not happier for. Some of them I learned a tremendous amount from. And yeah, but yeah, no, that's, that's life. Yeah. I know. I feel like, I don't know. Every now and then I, I get the impression. I think that some, uh, when you're non-monogamous or poly and you're like in this, like a kind of like marginalized, misunderstood group, you feel like some pressure to, you know, Perform. put on airs and like, yeah, like pretend that mm -hmm. everything is glorious. And it's like, yeah, no, Polly's not going to save you from relationship struggles or life woes or anything. Depression. Yeah. Indeed. Anxiety. <laughs> in some ways you bring something back in, the more relationships you have, the higher chance that you have of experiencing heartbreak, right? Like, you know, if Caitlin and I had just remained monogamous and married, we wouldn't like, I have suffered now like genuine heartbreak and loss. Um, of a relationship in a way that I never would have if it weren't for becoming polyamorous. So like it, yeah, there's a lot that comes with it that, that isn't necessarily glorious. I'm very happy that we're not monogamous. This feels authentic. I am happy to have loved when I did, even when it was lost, I do stand by the uh, better to have loved and lost um, old idiom, which, you know, admittedly abstracts a lot of the pain, but is, you know, I think real. I'm very happy with where we've ended up. I think we've made the right decisions. But yeah, it, it's not all sunshine and rainbows. Sometimes you face plant. Um, sometimes it's a pigsty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and and you like you said, right? Like you you touched on it earlier, Caitlin. I think was like you know we we both agreed to like wake up every day and give this 110 percent, and that we were going to try and try and try and try and like we don't give up. And I think there's, there is a, I think easy for people from the outside who, who haven't really done polyamory 
to be like, but damn, that's hard. Like, why? And it's and and it's it's almost an impossible question to answer. Like, be just because like because it's like you said like you found the book and you're like this is us and you both read it and you're like well holy shit this is me and that means there's some hard work that goes along with that yeah so being i mean a parent is that you ask a parent why it's like that question doesn't actually make sense because i like because that's my child and i like i am a parent yeah i mean i would i would say i was like i can tell you why and it's because in Feels between right. all of the really difficult hard work and in between, you know, lots of really excellent therapy and lots of trial and error and a lot of nights of having hard feelings together. In between those moments, I have the opportunity to like sit in a room with a group of people that like loves and cares for me in a way that I never could have imagined possible. And I have these striking moments when our group is together where I am just like, it will sound very cheesy, but nearly brought to tears sometimes just thinking about how supportive and impactful my community is and how like lucky I am to have the people that I have and to have them all care for each other as well. And that's why there that's are a lot why. of moments that are it's really... worth that. <laughs> Yeah, like there are a lot of moments that are really saturated in joy and sharing a loving connection is one of the most rewarding things I think a human can do. And yeah, it, we're not in it out of some sort of like commitment to principle. Like we do the hard work because we love Cause what... Because you gotta. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, you have to in order to live the life that you're loving and to continue to love the people that you're loving and... You know, th those aren't things that, like, you know, those aren't things we could ever see ourselves giving up. Um, there are people in our lives we could never, you know, don't, you know, can't imagine being gone. Um, and yeah, they make it worth it. Wow. What a beautiful place to wrap this episode <laughs> up. And thank you both. I just, I agree with you completely. I mean, it's, it's hard. It's really hard, but the beautiful moments and the sense of community is, is what makes it all worth it. Uh, and the change you see in yourself too, like it, for me, it makes me feel like I'm actually living life Yeah. and that that's a rewarding feeling, even if it's challenging. Yeah. So thank you both. Yeah, I can't wait for parts two through nine. Um, I'm super excited. So well, you have our Google calendars, so <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, we are now in a polycule together. That's how this works. So thank you, thank you both for everything, and have a wonderful day today. Yeah, thank you guys. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And we'll talk soon. Yeah, yeah. Part soon. We'll talk soon. And we're back. A huge thank you to Caitlin and Julian for coming on the show and sharing your story. We had a fantastic time talking to you. And yeah, it just, just thank you for everything. Yeah, I will echo that. It's been an amazing conversation. I was, I, I think I mentioned this on Instagram when I was creating some of the graphics. Like normally we pull out a handful, five or 10 quotes from an episode to like use for different things. I like, I would have been better off just keep like 
I pulled almost everything out of this episode because <laughs> it's just like one amazing thing after another. So you've now heard it. You already knew that. So thank you, Caitlin and Julian. And we hope everybody enjoyed it. A few quick, quick reminders. Hang on, hang, hang in there with us. Go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. You will find there our shirts, shirts for sale. And they're available until July 22nd. That's this Friday. You'll also find information on the Patreon button about our Patreon community. We'd highly encourage you to go check it out. And we also have virtual meet and greet coming up on August 30th, 2022. So also check that out. And the last announcement is that Finn is still not recycled. (laughs) Bring it back from the intro. Well, you know what else isn't recycled, Emma? SCCheck.com. The test. <laughs> the STI tests at STDcheck.com. You get a fresh one every time you go. Uh, that's, that's yeah, you important. don't have to use a recycled one. No, that'd be like using. That'd be, you what is it re- like? Tell us what it's like. <laughs> I was going to say. Using a used condom? No, I was gonna say, that's, that'd, be, that'd be interesting. But use it, I was going to say using a recycling, recycling a COVID test. You don't want to do that either. That's true. <laughs> Maybe that's why I kept testing positive. I was trying to save money on yours. <laughs> That's not how it works. So the point was, (laughs) stdcheck.com is MNI's favorite way to to get tested for STIs in a non-recycled fashion. (laughs) This is a service we use. We've been using it for years. We absolutely love it. If you you haven't listened to the show, take our word for it. We are not filling you with bluffs. (laughs) We're falling apart. I think I still got COVID brain. It's fast, it's easy, and it's low cost at $129 for a 10-panel test when you use the links on our show notes and in our website, on our website. They help support us financially and you save the $10. So, Did you get all that? I think they got it. <laughs> the tests are brand new, certified organic, non-recycled. I made up the organic part. Go check it out. And but, but we certify that they are awesome and amazing. That's very true. On that note, we will let you go. But first, we want to let you... We'll let you go, but no. But first, But first, we have... This Friday, we have another Focus Friday episode coming out. It'll be all about community and building community. And that's going to be a conversation that we had with Mr. and Mrs. Jones of the We Got a Thing podcast. So we're super excited about that. And next week, regularly scheduled interview, correct? Correct, yes. With... Can confirm. That's an inside joke. If anybody gets that inside joke, send us an email if you can guess what TV show it's from. Right. That's and true. if you get it right, we'll send you some swag. First person to get it right gets the swag. <laughs> and if there's less than 10 of you, probably get some swag. All of you will get swag. There you go. <laughs> anyway, what's next week? An interview. Yes. A regularly was, scheduled I was, interview. I was trying to hand it off. Well, I don't know. I can't see your notes around this microphone. <laughs> Ah, Bex Caputo. Yes. We talked to Bex a couple of weeks ago for last month's Focus Fridays, and we are bringing him back for this one. Well, yes. for this week to just talk about his personal story. That's next Wednesday. That's true. This has gone off the rails. Well, I don't know that it was ever on the rails. <laughs> true. <laughs> Thanks for hanging us, hanging in hanging there with us. us. There. <laughs> Thanks. We're doing great. Thanks for hanging in there with us. Have a wonderful rest of your week. Do you got anything else? We'll see you Friday. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening.